You're listening to The Maniculum, pointing the finger at the Middle Ages. We bring you the choicest medieval nonsense, discuss and evaluate it, then pillage it for our own geeky purposes. As I'm sure the discerning listener has gathered from the title, this is part two of a two-part story. Since we did not intend this to be a two-parter when we recorded it, we didn't include a previously on in the original recording, so I'm going to do one now. Previously on Yannick. A young woman is wed to an old lord who shuts her up in a, quote, tower, unquote, that we later find out is like two stories high. After several years of this, she does a soliloquy, asking when she gets her Prince Charming, at which point a falcon flies in the window, turns into a handsome knight, and is like, You rang? They start having regular booty calls, but her husband gets suspicious about why she seems so happy recently, and has his sister spy on her. The sister sees the whole bird routine happen, reports back, and they set up a sort of blade trap in the window. Falcon Boy gets all cut up, and while he's bleeding and dying, he informs our heroine that she is pregnant with a son who will avenge him, or possibly impregnates her at this point, depending on your interpretation. He then turns into a bird and flies away. Bafflingly, our heroine tries to follow him out the window, but does not turn into a bird, so she just has a bit of a fall. Following the trail of her lover's blood, she ends up in a palace in a silver city in Fairyland, where she finds her dying bird boy lover who bestows upon her a sword and a magic ring that makes people not suspicious of you. He also tells her a prophecy about how once her unborn son is grown, she will know it is time to give him the sword and tell him to avenge his father by a sign she will see in an abbey. Then he tells her to leave, because if she is still in the city when he dies, his people will kill her. And that's where we left off. She had not gone half a mile beyond the gate of the city when she heard the clash of bells and the cries of men who lamented the death of their lord. Her grief was such that she fell four separate times upon the road, and four times she came out of her swoon. She's doing I... the, like, horror movie heroine thing, where she's, like, running from the monster and she keeps, like, stumbling over tripping. convenient roots. See, to me, this one makes sense, because, like, when you're overcome with grief, you, like, break down. Or maybe the sword's just really big and she keeps tripping over it. That too. So, I don't know. Like, to me, this one makes sense. Like, I'm going to defend this one. All right, all right. Because when you are that deep in your grief, like, you have to stop because all you can do is cry. So anyway, she then went to a lodge where her friend had refreshed himself. That is to say, she goes back to that little cabin in the woods. Right. That's the portal back to Kansas. It is, yes. And rested for a while. Passing beyond there, she came at last to her own land and returned to her husband's tower. There, for many a day, she dwelt in peace, since, as Edumarek told, her lord gave no thought to her outgoings, nor wished to avenge him, and neither spied upon her anymore. So, I don't know where this f***ing ring was in the first place, but I guess because of the prophecy, he's like, I can't wear the ring. Yeah. I had to die. It's a little sus. Yeah, it does seem very convenient. Yes. But... Anyway, we can now finally get to the last third of the story mm -hmm. in which Yannick actually appears. Ah! So here, here we are. So in due time, the lady was delivered of a son whom she named Yannick. Very sweetly, she nurtured the lad, and in all the realm there was not like for his beauty and generosity, nor one more skilled with a spear. So that's his preferred weapon. Hmm, mm, you'd think she could direct him a little bit and go like, hey, why don't you practice with the sword? I know, I right? I have this nice sword here. There's a cool sword, buddy. 
you know? Like, I, I know you're holding it upright. How about this little smaller stick that's better for slashing, mm-hmm. maybe? Yeah. Like, I know, I know that you've been instructed not to, like, tell him the story, but you could, like, prepare him. Yeah, you know, like, sculpt it a little. Imagine if someone did this, and then was like, and now it is time, my son, for you to avenge your father. And the son's like, I majored in art. Could you have yeah, like, maybe yeah. directed my education a little if a you knew this bit? was, was going to fall in my lap the whole time? Yeah. Rip. So, anyway, when he was a fitting age, the king dubbed him a knight. Hearken now what chance to them all what in king? that same year. The king of England. Oh, right. They're in England. That's right. They're in, they're in England. Yeah. Chepstow. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It was the custom of that country to keep the feast of St. Aaron with great pomp at Caerleon and many other towns besides. Hey, it's King Arthur. It is. It is King Arthur. They were at Caerleon. That's an Arthurian court. Indeed. All right. All right. So the husband, who I guess is still f***ing alive. Yeah. This guy will not die. He's very old and very cursed. Very cursed. Maybe he's the source of the curse. Possibly undead. Yeah. But anyway... He rode with his friends to observe the festival as was his wont. Together with him went his wife and her son, richly apparelled. I want to know how different this guy looks from the kid. Like, I'm kind of imagining this old guy has, like, dark black hair and his son's, like, a redhead or something. I guess I was assuming that he was, like, so old and withered and decrepit that, like, you just couldn't tell. I like that. That's pretty good. Like, does he have the same hair color? Who knows? Nobody Who knows? remembers what this guy's original hair color was. Yeah. It's been white as snow for 50 years. <laughs> as the roads were not known of the company, they feared to lose their way. And so they took with them a certain youth to lead them in the straight path. This varlet brought them to a town. This is much better than an uncertain youth who would lead them on a crooked path. On a crooked path. So anyway, the kid brings them into this town. And within this city, there was an abbey. Hey! Wow. <laughs> The varlet, that is the young the young kid, this it has a negative connotation now, but it just means a knight's page. Mm-hmm. That's it page boy. I think we've talked about this before. This is one of ma- yeah. one of many, many, many examples of like any word for someone who is specifically not an aristocrat becomes an insult. Yeah. So he craved lodging for the night, and the pilgrims were welcomed gladly by the monks. So technically this is a pilgrimage because they're going to the feast of Saint Aaron. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of funny to hear, like, these nobles being talked about as pilgrims, because I think when we think of pilgrims, we have a very different idea. I mean, there was a knight in the Canterbury Tales. He was a pilgrim. That's true. Well, yeah, but the language is like, he went on pilgrimage rather than he's a pilgrim. Mm, Fair. But, I don't know. Okay, so they were welcomed, and they were given meat and drink near the abbot's table as befitting of their rank, blah, blah, blah. On the morrow after mass, they would have gone their way, but the abbot prayed them to tarry a little. Again, the language is archaic here. When somebody prays you to do something, it's just like imploring you, Mm -hmm. like, please stay here. Since he would show them the chapter house and dormitory and all the offices of the abbot, he's like, let me give you a tour. (laughs) And also, when these archaizing writers use the word would, about half the time it means wanted to. And I think it does in this case. Yes. So he wants to give them a little tour, probably because he's like, if we had a couple more, you know, donations, we could replace the roof. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be lovely? And there's a stone right here just begging to have your name on it. Literally, I'll carve it in. Like, that's the vibe. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. I feel that. Yeah. 
Now, note, like, I'm implying this into the story. It does not actually state that that's what he's doing. But I feel like that's the main reason why an abbot would invite these noble people to stay to see a tour of the abbey. Yeah, like, why else? Yeah. Unless he's just taking a shine to Yannick, this guy, yeah. the, (laughs) The story says he's very nice, but, like... Yeah. So, anyway... Immediately, when the dinner had come to an end, the pilgrims rose from the table and visited all the offices of the abbey. That's to say, just the different areas. Like, the office of the cantor is, like, the cantor's role, etc., etc. We're not talking, like, they all had little cubicles. (laughs) Coming to the chapter house, they entered therein and found a fair tomb exceedingly large, covered with a silken cloth, and banded with offerings of gold. That's, I think... What of gold? telling or phrase. How do you phrase spell it? Gold. O-R-F-R-E-Y-S. I think it's, I'm going to guess it's like tassels, but I could be wrong. Ooh, highly detailed embroidery. There we go. I'll save you the OED. Why do I even have this? I like it. It's fun. Plus you get cooler etymologies. That's true. King Henry II of England spent lavishly on them. Isn't that the king that Marie de France is writing for? Yeah. So maybe she's like... Ooh, my lord, my king, look at how fancy this place is. Look at the thing you like. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right, so anyway, it's very pretty. 20 torches of wax stood around this rich tomb. That's a lot of torches. Mm -hmm. At the head, the foot, and the sides. So that's like, that's like 10 on each. No, that's like five on each side and then five at the top and bottom. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of torches. Do they keep them lit all the time? I mean, I feel like they're going to go through them really fast. I don't know. It doesn't say that they were lit. They're just there. That would make more sense. They're just honestly. there. Yeah. Also, we've are if anyone's confused by torches of wax, I think we did that in a previous Marie de France thing. Does yeah. not mean candles. There is a, such a thing as a waxed torch. wax torch. Yes, because candlesticks. The candlesticks were of fine gold, and the censer swung in that chantry was fashioned from an amethyst. What, uh, just so what? That's, that, that's what it says. Okay, we're back in fairyland. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the censer is the little incense thing that they swing around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When the pilgrims saw the great reverence vouchsafed to this tomb... I love that phrasing. I haven't heard vouchsafed in years. I like that they're vouchsafing reverence, too. Usually someone's, like, yeah. vouchsafing, like, a secret or something. Yeah. Or, like, advice. It's reverence. Yeah. So... They inquired of the guardians as to whom it should belong, and of the lord that lay therein. The monks commenced to weep, and told with tears, that in this place was laid the body of the best, the bravest, and the fairest knight who ever was. Percival! I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) They have this tomb. Excuse me. I got him again. Getting over a flu. If I laugh too hard, I cough. Oh, no. Yeah, so... There's a lot of best, bravest, and fairest knights who ever were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're they're still, like, crying about him at the very mention. And it, yeah. it's It has to have been over a decade by now. Probably, yeah. I would, yeah, oh, definitely. Like, yeah. minimum, Yannick is a teenager. Yeah, yeah. So in his life, he was king of this realm. So yeah, definitely f***ing fairyland. Okay, so yeah, ah, ah, they were led by a certain youth on a straight path. Uh-huh. Mm, they uh-huh. crossed the borders. I'll bet you he was a fairy. Mm-hmm. So, in his life, he was king of this realm, and never was there so worshipful a lord, that is to say, someone who you should worship. 
Right, yeah. Uh, worshipful and honorable are also basically the same in, like, chivalric yes. romances. Like, the Mallory uses them interchangeably. He was slain at Kerwent for the love of a lady in those parts. Since then, the country has been without a king. For what, 20 years? Damn. Well, they have a democracy now. Sounds like a better system, honestly. But anyway. We brought in this guy to, like, take care of the throne. We're calling him the steward. Uh, yeah. He's got a thing about tomatoes. Weird relationship <laughs> with his sons. So this is kind of not great, actually. Many a day we have waited for the son of these luckless lovers to come to our land, even as our lord commanded us to do so. When the lady heard these words, she cried to her son with a loud voice before them all. Fair son, said she, you have heard why God has brought us to this place. It was literally a kid, but okay. Yeah. It is your father who lies the dead within gone. this tomb. <laughs> I mean. He was Odin in disguise. There we go. That's a god. He's like, yeah. It is your father who lies dead in this tomb. Foully he was slain by this ancient Judas at your side. Good God. <laughs> She's waited 20 years. This was supposed to be a nice family outing. <laughs> this poor guy. I mean, I, I don't, I don't like Yeah, no, him, he was but, established you know. as a villain very early on. Yeah, but still, yeah. like, that's a, that's a weird yeah. turn. With these words, she brought out the sword, which I guess she'd been Fuck carrying. Where? <laughs> Look, dresses have big pockets. I thought dresses famously did not have pockets. Modern dresses don't have pockets. Ah. However, medieval dresses do because pockets were not attached to the dress. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So underneath your shift, or not underneath your shift, but over your shift, you would tie your pockets on. And your pockets were like big bags, essentially, big fabric bags with a cut in them. And that would often be embroidered around it. So it was very pretty, actually. And nobody really saw it but you and your servants. And then you would put your, like, the, the outer layers of your dress on. And those would just have slits in the dress so you could reach your pockets. We should bring this back. This sounds wildly convenient. It's amazing. Like, you yeah. could always have the same stuff in your pockets no matter how many times you changed your clothes. Yes. Yes. And I bet it's those so bags cool. held a lot. They did. And, like... I saw a cool, like, Instagram or, like, TikTok or whatever of somebody who was showing how much they would hold. This chick pulled a whole baguette out of the slit in her dress because her pockets were that big. Like, you could you can fit bread loaves in these things. Like, big pockets is what I'm saying. Is that why when you see those, like, old-fashioned, like, depictions of women, they always have, like, those dresses that go way out they at go the way waist? Because they're... they're Everything below the waist Baguettes. is a whole bakery in there. Oh, yeah. So I would not actually be surprised if this lady is literally wearing the sword underneath her dress and she draws it out of her pocket. Yeah, all right. I would believe that, you know? It would look kind of weird under her dress this whole time. But she's but... got the anti-suspicion ring. Yeah, yeah. So nobody knows it. Thing. So she, like, shing, grabs her sword from her pocket, I guess. Mm -hmm. And gave him the glaive, which is... Not a sword. Glaives and swords are very different. That's a polearm. But sure. Oh, it, it comes from the old French, comes from the gladius, which means sword. It's still... Fine. This says that it's a sword. What? All right, I'm this pulling up the dumb. OED again. The OED says that it's a lance or a... Ha <laughs> That's not very helpful. Yeah, grab it. I want to know. I want to know why it thinks that it's a sword, because it's not. Oh. 
A name given at different periods to three distinct kinds of weapons, viz, <laughs> lance, bill, that's the polearm, and sword. So a glaive could be all three. Yeah. Interesting. Ooh, but this is a translation issue, I think, because... Oh, no, wait, he's translating from French. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. I was going right. to say the earliest example of it being used to mean a sword is in... 1470, but I assume it's it's different because French. Because French. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, today I learned. Yeah, maybe we just borrowed that sense from the French. I think that's what it is. Huh. Definition two is a weapon consisting of a blade fastened to a long handle, a kind of halbert. <laughs> Which is a spelling I a have halbert? not seen before. <laughs> I believe it, though. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Love a good halbert. Halbert. <laughs> Pity the guy with that name. So, anyway, yeah. she gives him this sword, and she then tells the tale of how Udmarek came to have speech with his friend in the guise of a hawk, weird phrasing, mm -hmm. how the bird was betrayed to his death by the jealousy of her lord, and of Yonek, the falcon's son. At the end, she fell senseless across the tomb. I don't remember any of this. <laughs> She falls senseless across the tomb, and she does not speak a further word until the soul had gone from her body. So she just f***ing dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she dies. And so when Yonik saw that his mother lay dead upon her lover's grave, he raised his father's sword and smote the head of that ancient traitor from his shoulders. In that hour, he avenged his father's death and with the same blow gave quittance for the wrongs of his mother. I feel like the story has forgotten that they're, like, surrounded by monks. Monks and she has bypassed the torches to fall across the tomb. Maybe she fell, like, into them. In Yeah. Now she's on fire. Yes. Her body's on fire, and Yannick's like, oh, God. But see, the, the author forgot to mention that, like, while she was telling this dramatic story, she was gesturing, and her dress caught on fire, but she didn't notice, and that's why she suddenly fell down dead. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, as soon as these tidings were published abroad, folk of that city came together and setting the body of that fair lady within the coffin, sealed it fast with due right and worship. May God grant them pardon and peace. As to Yannick, their son, the people acclaimed him as their king, and he departed from the church. Those who knew the truth of this piteous adventure, after many days, shaped it into a lay that all men might learn the plaint and dolor of these two friends, suffered by reason of their love. The end. So I don't actually know how to be a king. <laughs> also, like, Yannick does nothing in this lay. He cuts a guy's head off. That is all he does. Mm -hmm. He's kind of a lame hero. Yeah, and it was ordained by prophecy, so he doesn't even get credit for it. Yeah, he really doesn't. So there we go. That is Yannick. I do have some notes. My main note, and I've been harping on this, but I'm bringing it back. Do it. How gendered violence is in this story. Is yeah. that, like, violence is the preserve of men exclusively. Unfortunately, yes. Like, it doesn't even seem to... Dawn on the lady? Yeah. yeah she doesn't think about it. It does not occur to her that she could take that role. And I'm not, I'm not sure it occurs to the author. I don't know. Like, that's something that's very interesting to me because clearly we see in other stories that these women are clever and crafty and will do, like, they do hurt other people. But this lay in particular, it's verboten for, for the lady to kind of do anything that would make her role better in any way. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I don't think that's her fault. That's the interesting thing to me. I think that she is aware of her role in this story. And she she's like, well, I'm in the bad part of a fairy tale. I wish that I had a good part of a fairy tale, but I can't do anything. Yeah, I mean, we've been being mean to her the whole time, but it's not her fault. Right. She's trapped by genre convention. Right. Literally, literally, meta, literally, she is trapped by genre convention. And like, even like, she can't even do anything. She has to wait until her son can do something. Right. That's like, what the f***? That's, that is so, that is an exaggeration to the point of parody of the, you have to wait for a handsome knight to save you is. You have to wait to have a son. You have to give birth and raise a handsome knight from scratch to avenge you. Yeah, from your husband. Yeah. That's wild to me. And also, like, we don't know what this prophecy is for. We don't know why Fairy Lord needed it. Like, none of this makes sense. It's a story because it needs to be a story. Like, the story exists to serve the plot conventions and the, and the motif conventions. That is it. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. So I'm going to jump into some themes and some other notes that like the the French gets into that we don't necessarily get into in this translation. Before we jump into that, I do want to just say like the fairy tales that use these same motifs that I'm familiar with, like East of the Sun, West of the Moon. The female protagonist, the the heroine does have agency in those. She gets to solve her own problems. Mm -hmm. Like just putting that out there. Yeah. That is a W for the fairy tales and an L for the romance. Yes. It's it's very interesting. So some notes here. Um, we've got themes of protecting a woman's sex, not out of concern for her, but out of her being property. But notice, like I said at the beginning, notice how these are always evil old men. Mm-hmm. Like this is not, this is something that is that a courtly knight would not do. No, he, he would sleep with Guinevere. We know this from Lanval. Right, and also, who was the the pretty boy who got really excited about his fairy lover, and when the queen comes on to him, he's like, no, no, my fairy lover's prettier. No, that's Lanval. That's what I was talking about. That that is Lanval, yeah. So, you know, a courtly knight is not going to do this to you. Right. We also have themes of true love being fated. Love will find a way, but that doesn't always mean it's going to be happy. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we see this in Guijmar, but they do end up happy. But remember, the lady in that story, she's trapped until she finally gets on the boat. But then when she gets off the boat, she's trapped in a different guy's kingdom until he shows up to save her. Yeah, and then physically carries her off, underlining that even in the happy ending, she's still property. Yes. So again, like they were fated, but that doesn't really mean that it'll be happy. And so we definitely see that here. They're fated to be true lovers. He laid eyes, like Bird Boy laid eyes on her and he's like, I've loved you since the moment I first saw you. But if we're found out, I'll be killed and it'll be really bad for us. But that's what has to happen because it's a fairy tale. Um, Let's see. Themes of fairy lovers popping up and having their way. We see this in Lanval. We see this in... Tyridel, which is a different fairy story that is of this same tradition, but it's written by an anonymous mm-hmm. poet. Tamlin, also. True. Scottish fairy lover. There we go. I think it's a ballad. We also have it as very common for gods to pop up or the fae to pop up and grant favors by the way of sex, such as the Morrigan in the Toyn Cooling. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that now. Yep. It's very, very common. For them to just, like, Lug can pop up and be like, hello, how are you? 
I'll give you something if you give me a little something something, if you know what I mean. Well, I mean, if you had the opportunity to sleep with a fairy, like, wouldn't you take it? Probably. Yeah, right? Declaration of naming a son is also something that we see. This is in the Old Testament. This is obviously Jesus, King Arthur, I think is also, like, pre-proclaimed. Lots of old Irish tales. Yeah, there's lots of you will bear a son and he will be called what's a what. Yes. Cucullin's son, even, actually. Who he kills, also. Like, they're both warriors and he sees his son on the battlefield and he doesn't know that it's his son. Yeah, we, we've established that Cucullin is just incredibly dangerous to be around. Yeah. He's like the Hulk it's, with it's less bad. self-control. Yeah. Also, was Achilles pre-proclaimed as Achilles or? Ooh, I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't remember. I don't remember that aspect of the myth. I don't think he was. I don't know. You know more about Greek myth than I do, so. Because he gets to choose either a short and glorious life or a long and boring one. Hmm. So we'll throw him out. But anyway, point is, there's lots of that as a motif. There's also, we already talked about this one, lots of lovers turning into birds. Mm -hmm. Even Tolkien does this, which I will get to in our Tolkien tally. The transformation of the fairy lover from a mischievous, potentially evil character into a good one. This one kind of incorporates a lot of different ideas. So first off, the bird boy has to prove that he's actually like a good supernatural entity. So that's really interesting. And in this lore, there is some research that the evil sister likely went from druid to evil sister-in-law due to Christianization of this story. Oh. So the druid protects the community from the fairies, right? But as Christianization occurs, as the story is passed down, passed over, it becomes an evil sister-in-law who is protecting or, you know, warding off a true love story. So the druid needs to be cast in an evil light because it's paganism. It's not Christian. So that's one theory. So I assume you've got, you're, you're going to link these sources in the show notes. Yes, I, I, I want to read that one. That sounds good. Yeah, I'll find that one. Um, did I save that? I have it. All right. I have it somewhere. It might have been in the Anonymous Fairy Night one. Oh, The Celtic Origin of the Lay Yonic by Tom Pete Cross. All I have right. a quote from it. There you yeah. Go. I already talked about the elements of the Imram and the Ektra, the journey to the other world. Also, like fairies kidnapping people and taking them to the other world. That's a common trope, that otherworldness. But Cross writes, quote, The character of the wife in Yonic is no less typical of the age in which the poem was written. The heroine of the lay probably represented a type familiar to the courtly circles of the 12th century as an impudent wife to the readers of divorce court proceedings today. Doubtless, many a beautiful young dame, immured by a jealous husband in a lonely castle, gazed longingly through her narrow encasement and wished for a fairy knight who should bring a touch of romance back into her life. To the hearers and readers of Marais' lay, the delicate, languishing, intriguing wife of a crabbed, jealous old man would be much more interesting than the robust Celtic spouse who, though equally unfaithful to her husband, made a far smaller claim upon their sympathies. The heroine of the early Irish story is likely to be epic in character. The lovesome ladies of the Arthurian poems and Breton lays are often more romantic in the extreme sense of the word. The difference is not difficult of explanation. The medieval writers were just as anxious as the modern novelists to make their stories up to date. So this is saying that like the old epic queen hero of the original Celtic story who runs off with the fairy king 
is much less enticing to Marie's audience than the pretty young dame who's married to a crabby old husband. Mm, taste issue. Yeah, essentially. Essentially. Which I think is really interesting because I see this... I'm going to go on a small modern fantasy novel rant. It's funny you mentioned Tam Lin because Sarah J. Moss has written an infamous series of works called A Court of Thorns and Roses. She's got a whole series. Seen them on the shelves, yeah. Yep, which basically is a quote-unquote retelling of the Beauty and the Beast with more original quote-unquote fairy lore thrown in. Beauty and the Beast is a literary fairy tale. Yes. Like it does not have deep folkloric roots. Mm-hmm, correct. So she combines the Beauty and the Beast with older fairy lore, like, from this genre. So the in the first book, the main lover's name is Tamlin. Uh-huh. And he kidnaps, I cannot get her name right, it's F-E-Y-R-E. I don't know how to pronounce it. I've taken to calling her Farah because I don't know how else to pronounce it. I've removed a section where we wonder about the origin and pronunciation of the main character's name in these books. It seems that it comes from an archaic spelling of the English word fair, as in beautiful, which, you know, she's allowed. If Disney can name their protagonist Belle, then I suppose a modern author can name their protagonist fair. We are already risking our lives against the book talk crowd by me even saying any of this. Oh, are they popular? I've only seen like... (laughs) Oh, Mac. Oh, My only exposure to this is that I occasionally see them on the shelves at the bookstore, and I saw that one joke going around about how the phrase a bowl of mac and cheese fits into the title structure. That's really funny. Yeah, it does, actually. That's really funny. But no, it's, um, they're fantasy fairy porn, basically. Hmm. Yes. She's very well known for, for her sex scenes. But yes, the plot of the first book, spoilers, I, fair warning, I guess. Farah kills a shape-shifted fairy wolf, and Tamlin comes from Fairyland, which everyone knows about Fairyland, and they're like, don't go to Fairyland, they kidnap people. That's at least accurate to the ballad. Yeah. I mean, in, in the ballad, it's like a specific forest or something, but like, yeah. the fact you don't that mess it, with it's them. known fits in the milieu. Yeah. yeah. And he comes in and he's like, I'm kidnapping Farah to take her back as a payment for a life for a life. Hmm. Which works, right? You know, so far, this is tracking as a reasonable plot, actually. Yeah, no, plot-wise, it it works pretty well. I'm still not going to read it, because, like, romance novels are not my thing, but... Every time I think that she has a character moment, she gets distracted by his back muscles, and it's, frankly, really funny to me. You know, genuinely, I'm glad that there's some, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for there? gender equality going on there because i've read a lot of male (laughs) fantasy authors who keep getting distracted by the women by the way their female characters look i'm glad Mm -hmm. it goes the other way it does no it really does it's quite impressive but anyway yeah so she's kidnapped and so she's like i'm going home and he's like you can't go home pharaoh and then there's like Tamlin is the lord of the autumn court and so fairyland is divided into the different courts and it's just England, and... Which means, incidentally, by the way, 
we looked this up when we were yes. like looking into this earlier. Yes. The whole summer court, winter court thing. Yep. Everyone doing that is just ripping off Jim Butcher, who is also yep. an urban fantasy author. Yep. Who is the guy I was thinking of when I said male fantasy authors who keep getting distracted by how <laughs> their female characters look. Well, there you go. We've come full circle. <laughs> so anyway, um, my point here is that Sarah J. Moss has taken these myths and also brought, like, Marie's lays as up-to-date with, like, apparently incredibly graphic sex scenes, which has grabbed the modern audience. So there you go. Point is, it keeps coming. It just keeps being reinvented. Stop it. <laughs> I didn't say Stop it. anything. I didn't expect there to be so much horny talk in this episode. <laughs> but there you go. I guess the point is, the more we carry these stories through, the one thing that always stays the same is that fairies are horny as f***. Ah, good for them. You know, and I'm here for it. So there you go. That's what I have. Basically, Marie tried to make it more up to date. Sarah J. Moss is also trying to make this same story more up to date. <laughs> Those are my notes. Fair enough. Does, does her protagonist stab people? Uh, she does swoon a lot. Oh. I don't think I've gotten to the part where she stabs people, but I think she does in later books. Okay. I was hoping we'd moved past the swooning in the modern age. Definitely not. There's a lot of swooning. I've never seen someone swoon in real life. I feel like it's not as common as, as you'd think reading these books. I've only ever seen people swoon when they, like, are very ill. But anyway, there we go. Yeah. I think there's a lot here. Shall we do our segments? Yes, let's. What say you? I don't know. I really like when Bird Boy is like, to you, this hawk will be as gentle as a dove. Like, that's just, he's he's working in the bird theme. Yeah, you know, that's pretty good. Like, good. It's snazzy, right? It's a good line. You know, I think that's, that's, that's the best I can find. I think it's the, it's the, it's got the sharpest little, like, the rest ooh. of it is just people saying, like, the plot, but in really yes. unnecessarily fancy words. Yeah. Okay, I do like, though, when she's describing her husband and is like, in place of the waters of baptism, certainly he was plunged in the flood of the sticks. That's pretty good. His nerves are like iron and his veins quick with blood as those of a young man. She's got such a poet's tongue. It's a pity that she didn't put it to better use. Altobrast. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of wish that she did die when she jumped out of the window because that would have been the that best would have been the best i think since she survived though we have to give it to ed oh yeah 100 percent. because like he gets stabbed coming in a window really more of a slicing yeah that's right i'm nitpicking my past self yeah he gets stabbed by going through a like a literal windmill of death yeah like, he pushes himself through a screen, basically. Yeah. A screen made of daggers. Yeah. Turns into a human. Yep. Bleeds all over a bed. Possibly has sex. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Oh, that was your suggestion, too. That one's on you. Look, he's got to fulfill the prophecy, and if she's not pregnant, he can't do that. True. I feel like it's, he's like, it's my last chance. I've been, I've been waiting for this moment. Wild. That's, that was a step I would question, but... Well, 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 because hold on, because hold on, because the prophecy says, right, Mm -hmm. that she's going to have a son to avenge his death. So he's, like, the prophecy doesn't kick in until he's going to die. 
So he didn't need to impregnate her until he was on his deathbed. All right. I'm just saying, like, man's new. I- I'm just saying that, like, I'm pretty open-minded, but that is... That's a lot. F***ing a guy who is actively bleeding to death is a thing I would question. <laughs> Ditto. It's a weird take. All right, it's but anyway. Choice. Anyway, so he does that. He turns yep. back into a bird, flies yep. back out the window, goes to a little hut, goes to fairyland, goes home, lies down to die on his On his own bed. Yeah. His lover, who still doesn't have a name, bursts in, collapses on top of him incontinently. <laughs> <laughs> And then they and have, then like, another, her. like, yeah. moment. Yeah. And he's like, take this sword. Yeah, here's here's some magic stuff. Now you have to leave. Yeah. Or my people will kill you. That's just such a drawn-out and dramatic death. Yeah. Ten out of ten. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Grant me the gold I think having your dad as a potential warlock like fey warlock thing could mm-hmm. be fun like your mom's just like a local lady a noble lady whatever but she just doesn't tell you about your dad and then you you learn that your warlock patron is actually your dad i feel like that could be pretty fun be fun throw in some shape-shifting abilities i like the ring oh 100 i'm imagining it as kind of like a permanent jedi mind trick that's going like nothing to see here move along yep yep I feel like that would be a really fun item to have. I feel like that would be, it would be difficult to give to an NPC, but really interesting to throw it at, to throw that NPC at players and go like, and there's a guy standing in the corner and just move on to them. They're like, hold on, who's the guy? It's not important. He's probably supposed to be there. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. But yeah, but like make it like a, like a perception check or like a wisdom check. And like, they just keep, and you're like, okay, cool. And then you just be like, okay, cool. There's a guy in the corner. It's like, what? But I want to, I want to, who's the guy? It's like, Roll me a wisdom check. Okay, um, 15. Okay, cool. So anyway, blah, 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 blah. And your, your players are like, what is happening with this guy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you give I it to the fun. players, then you can also have, like, moments where the people who see them wearing the ring don't think they're suspicious. But, like, if they're reporting back and they're like, all right, yeah, so I was guarding this door for, like, for Where all night, and yeah. uh, the, the only one who came through was this one guy who was probably supposed to be there. And then their boss is like, I'm sorry, the who? The what? The, the who, who came through? And yeah. then the alarm is sounded. Yes, I love that. I love that. Like, it doesn't work at a remove. Yeah, I think that could be really fun. And if you're, like, if you are blatantly doing something illegal, you can't get out of that. But if you're sneaking in someplace, if you're just kind of, you know, sneaking by. It's like the trick, you know, uh, if you wear a black shirt with white letters that just say staff yeah. and you carry a clipboard, they're like, oh, you're meant to be there. It's like that trick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yonix plus three stealth ring. What else? I feel like it would be really funny to turn this shuriken thing into a weapon. I don't know how it would work. What, just putting blades actually... in windows? I don't, and like hope, I don't know. Hoping people go through them? I guess. Yeah. Or maybe like instead of bars on a window, someone's installed blades. You know, I bet if you look through like old like books of dungeon traps and stuff, there's something there that's like thin there's cutting probably. wire that you put in windows and doors. Yeah. Yeah, I bet that's a thing. That could be good. And people should use it. Mm-hmm. I also think that Udemarek could be a very interesting NPC. Mm-hmm. Either as like fairy bird guy who's hanging around or as the lord of an area. I don't know. He's interesting. I mean, you could just take this entire story. Yeah. And do it. 
you know, either as player backstory where the player is Yannick or as just a situation where Yannick doesn't exist. There's no prophecy. There's just a situation and you have to figure it out. Yeah. Could be cool. I also like the hut that you go into and when you come out, you're in a different world. Fairy hut. Fairy hut. I really like the idea of, I don't know how you put it into a game, but somebody's family getting really, really upset with you if an NPC dies, even when you tried to save them, Mm -hmm. but they get, they still get so mad at you that they go hostile and you have to get out or you have to convince them or you're like, shoot, man, like, I don't know what to do in this situation. I tried to save him, but they're just so inconsolable that they blame you or they blame the party. I think that's really, really interesting. Yeah. How about the the freaky tomb? I mean, it's extremely fancy. Uh, yeah, but you could like, you could put a curse in it. You could, it's a good, it's a good place to have things happen. Yeah. Also, the, the sensor that's apparently made from a single, presumably ginormous amethyst. Yes. That's another one of those, like, treasure items that is inconveniently valuable. Like the tent that costs the GDP of a kingdom. What about the the old guy who just won't die? Who has, like, a really young wife? Yeah. So what's his deal, exactly? Yeah. Like, he just won't die, and there's something cursed about him. Because, like, there's many ancient curses in this town. <laughs> So what's the deal with that? I feel like that is the perfect setup for like a low mid-level quest. This guy's cursed. You could turn that into the fairy prince has cursed him in order to like trick a woman into falling in love with him for a more malicious twist. Or it could just be the guy is cursed and he stole something and you have to lift the curse and his wife is like, please help me get out of this relationship. It could be interesting. There's stuff. There's something there. Something that I think would be an interesting, I guess, setting for a campaign or a story. All right. So in this story, as in many, we have a land that doesn't have a king. The king has died. His son is missing. Mm-hmm. Standard, right? Yeah. What I want to have fiction, including games, explore more is like, what's that situation like? Where you're a kingdom without a king, but you're expecting to have a king. Like, you're looking for the heir, and you've been looking for him for a long time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who's making the decisions in the meantime? Who's running Mm -hmm. this place? And, like, is that maybe better than having a king? Are people starting to question the value of this whole king business? Yeah. Or conversely... Are we doing the Fisher King slash Lion King deal where if yep. the king is missing, the king is the land and so the land is suffering? The land is dying. Yep. Which is an old Irish trope. Right. Like, I think there's a lot there that can be explored. I think it could be especially interesting if you have, like, multiple perspectives on that from different NPCs slash fictional characters. Definitely. Like, you could have some people who are like, hey... We don't need a king. The government runs fine without a king. In fact, you know, it's better without a king. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. the succession struggles of of past decades were really rough. We should just stop being a kingdom. And people saying like, no, no, we need a king. The king is established, uh, is ordained by God. And other people claiming that like, oh, you know, all those crop failures lately is because we don't have a king. And it's not clear whether that's true or not. Like, I think there's a lot of stuff to explore. And there are several noted, I guess, coups in England where somebody claimed to be the heir. 
Yeah, I think people pulled that a few times. Yeah, they did. They tried to they tried to do it, and there there were quite a few little insurrections that got pretty big about that. So you could also include that. Yes. You know? Like, there, one guy is claiming he's the, the true king. There's another guy who might be the actual true king. There's some people who don't want a king. There's some people who need the king. And, are like, are they gonna, are they gonna back this guy, even if he's an imposter, just to have the king? Or is it, like, a divine blood sort of thing, you know? Yeah. There's a lot you could do with that. Right. There, there is a lot there. You could establish whether or not there is some, like, okay, this land is divinely or magically or whatever connected to this specific bloodline you need the rightful heir Mm -hmm, or maybe mm -hmm. it's not maybe none of that's real or or and this is where you could make this into what i think would be a pretty fun campaign have you seen the 1997 don bluth movie anastasia it's the cartoon it's the one with bartok the bat yes Yes. All right, you remember that scene at the beginning where the male lead and his like buddy are auditioning potential Anastasias. Yes, it's me, Grandmama, Anastasia. Exactly, yes, that. Yes. Now, in this campaign, the party is doing that, but for the lost heir of the king. Yes. Which is basically what they were doing in Anastasia, too, but, like, with a a medieval, like, Fisher King, the king is a land twist. Yeah, I like it. Different options. All right. I think that's all I have. Yeah, me too. Pretty good one. Pretty good one. How many ages hence shall this, our lofty scene, be acted over? I think we've already more or less covered echoes in modern culture. Let's list them off. So we've got, I mean, we've got apparently Sarah J. Moss, which I didn't see coming, but there we go. Yeah. We've got... Lots of folklore. Lots of folklore. Rapunzel, like the Rapunzel movie, mm-hmm. like still technically counts. Uh, we've, I mean, there's just a ton of motifs. Yeah, I think that, that works. That works. Yeah, we can just say, like, the folklore stuff that we talked about uh, at, yeah. at some length. Yeah. The Tolkien Tally. So this one's interesting to me because it connects into, like, three or four different motifs, folklore-wise, but also connects into this story. So there is a woman, Elwing, who turns into a bird in order to be with her husband. And I believe she is, I believe, oh, they're both half elven. So they're like half fairies, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's Arendelle and Elwing. And Arendelle comes from the old English name Arendelle, found in the poem Christ A or Christ One. Mm Mm-hmm which hails him as the brightest of angels or like the the star or whatever. So Tolkien took this name, took this char- character and created, well, he first created the poem Tree, and then this turned into Arendil the Mariner. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Tolkien lore around this. But anyway, point is, Arendil took the Silmaril, which was this forbidden piece of magic item, and cast it into the sky. And he's sort of the sun. He guides, he guides the sky, blah, 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 blah. And Elwing brought it to him from over the sea, going from what was the land before Middle-earth, so I'm just going to call it Middle-earth, and then into into Valinor, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I'm botching the story, sort of. But point is, this combines the Imram and Ektra, so going from normal land to fairyland, 
This combines the, like the magic items, this combines the lover turning into a bird, and this combines the fairy-human relationship all into one story. And Tolkien, of course, would have been familiar with these lays in addition to all of the old English stuff. Yeah. So, da 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 Okay. A lot of Tolkien here. Is that all the Tolkien? Uh, yes. Okay, I have Tolkien. I have two comments. Yes, hit me with it. First of all, I think we have to acknowledge that he named the character who turns into a bird Elwing. I know. And he also called the mountain Mount Doom. <laughs> I actually just assumed that there was like a perfectly reasonable etymological reason why she was called Elwing and he just didn't make that connection. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he did. Also, to bring this into more modern Tolkien stuff, Arendil had a kid named Elrond. That Elrond. So that's how you can connect all of these things. The other thing, and real quick, looking back to the folklore thing that we kind of just breezed over. One yes. thing I want to point out that's kind of weird. In most of the versions of this story I have heard, the blood that the male lead bleeds when he, after he gets like injured mm -hmm. is plot relevant. Oh, interesting. Like part of it is like she has to clean his bloody shirt or something. That makes sense. But here we got this, the specificity that after he's wounded, he bleeds on the sheets. And so I was thinking like, those sheets are going to be are important. Are going to be important. But yeah. not in this version. Didn't show no, up. Not here. Not here. I just think that's Interestingly. Wild. Yeah. Yeah, that is really interesting. Because usually uh, in a lot, you know, these stories, like it, it means something, especially because it's fairy blood, right? Mm -hmm. So, hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what I had. All right. The Dungeon Master's Dictionary. Terminology. Yeah, let's see. I'm going to try and find the term for bird. Tersel. T-E-R-C-E-L. Thank you. Tersel. There you go. Also, what was the word for the thing over the door? Lintel. L-I-N-T-E-L. You've got it. I know words. It is. I have a degree in words. <laughs> I do too. Apparently I'm not putting it to good use. I really like censor. Censor is just a cool word. That's uh, C-E-N-S-E-R. Yeah, it's different from S-O-R. Incense. Yeah, it's the incense thing. Also, varlet. Gonna bring that one back up. Right, kind of mentioned the varlet. Uh, what yep. was that thing? I'm looking for it. The mm, the, the little decorations. Oh, orfray. Orfrays, yeah. Orfray. What are they again? It's the embroidery, like the fancy decorated embroidery. Yeah. Like smaller strips of it. Like a wall hanging. Oh, what? Okay, I'm scrolling through here. He gives her a what that she might clothe her body? What is this? Oh, yeah. So I, I changed the word because it just means a gown. Oh. It is a bilaut? Bilaut? Bliau. Bliaut. Bliaut. Yeah. B-L-I-A-U-T. It just means like an overgown. Gotcha. They are worn by both sexes from the 11th to 13th century. Voluminous skirts. Yeah, I'm still annoyed that gowns aren't still unisex. They look very comfortable. They're really cool. Well, also, like, we don't, like, we have dresses now, but not gowns, you yeah. know? It's, it's a different sort of vibe. I'm still sticking by my position that, like, those graduation outfits, we should just make versions of those out of proper cloth, and we should be allowed to wear them when we're teaching. I agree. I 100% Or just agree. around. Yeah. I want to dress like that all the time. Hell yeah. Ooh, glaive. Glaive, yes. Glaive, it's another good word. Yeah, surprisingly means lance or sword or polearm. Or halbert. <laughs> or halbert. <laughs> halbert. <laughs> and I skipped over this when I was looking through the definition earlier, but apparently there's also a dialect version where it means a fish spear. Ooh, a glaive? A glaive. Oh, I like that. That's cool. A fish spear. 
I really, okay, I really like that, I don't know whether you do this as, like, an NPC encounter or something, but, like, you go into a shop and you're like, can I get a glaive? And they hand you a sword when you're expecting, like, a polearm. Mm-hmm. Because you're speaking to, like, a different culture or, like, you're doing it in a different language. Like, you go from common to draconic and in draconic, a glaive is a sword, not a polearm. I think that could be really fun. I think it could also be a Monty Python sketch. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Street smarts. What do we learn here? Aside from, like, women have agency. <laughs> yes, women need more agency. Yeah, you know what? That's the lesson. Just <laughs> stab him, girl. Come on. <laughs> Gaslight, gatekeep, girl boss. We keep saying it on this show. We are going to say it again. Stab your evil husband. Also, fly through windows more safely. Yeah, maybe don't wear a hood. Yeah. <laughs> be, ca- be careful when you're navigating through a window. Check yeah. what's in your path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, it's 20 feet up. You can use a ladder. Yeah. That like, might be more conspicuous. The the bird shape-shifting riz is not that important. I promise. If you have a magic don't-worry-about-it ring, you should be wearing that all the time. All the time, man. Also, I feel like you can use this woman... As an example, in how to talk to supernatural creatures. We, mm-hmm. we have so many bad examples, but this is a really good example of what you can do. Yeah, she's on top of it. She's like, prove yeah. it. And he's like, okay, I will do these will do proofs. It. And she's like, okay, that seems reasonable. I'll arrange it. Like, they're on it. Yeah, they're on it. Yeah. And, like, this is like a cool, like, consent check as well. It's like, you're just crossing your T's. It's like, you know, are you down for this? And she's like, yeah, but will you wear a condom? Also, are you human? And he's like, I can prove to you both of these things. <laughs> just cover cover your bases before you get into some supernatural flings. I can't wear one because we're prophesied to have a child who will avenge me. <laughs> no, do not listen to that, girl. Uh-uh. <laughs> Prophecies be d- Uh-uh. No, it's okay. I got a witch to give me a vasectomy. It's fine. All right. Speaking of which, um, not the vasectomy, but the child. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one other thing we have learned from this is that a completely reasonable solution to, oh no, we have been betrayed, is let's breed and raise our child to avenge us. Yeah, what the f***? <laughs> Don't live vicariously through your kids, man. They get to have their own lives. He wanted to go into jousting. He had a spear. He didn't want a kingship. Just saying. Yeah, no, that's fair. Best moment. I think it's either when he first appears. I I don't know. The first half of this story is so funny to me. Because she's like, man, I wish I had a magic prince. And this guy flies through the window, turns into a dude. And he's like, hello, I'm your magic prince. And then she's like, yeah, but can you prove it? And he's like, yes, let me shapeshift into you and take communion and then we'll bone. Like, just that entire series of events is so incredible. Yeah, yeah, that is amazing. I love it. I just, I love it. The only thing I can add to that is, I think the best moment within that is when the guy actually takes communion and it's not explained how he's doing that without anyone noticing. Noticing that it's him! Like, thanks, Marie. Very useful. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's the best moment. And again, if I were making this a movie, I would just have him, like, either in his human form or in his bird form, just casually taking communion and no one commenting on it. Yeah. 
I want my new falcon to have communion, please. What? Milady, it is heresy to give communion to beasts. Yeah, like, what? Ugh. The court. So, does Yudmarek count? Does not. He is a fairy. He's a fairy. Okay, just checking. I know he dies, so he's technically mortal, but if we're agreeing he's a fairy, I think we've established that fairies are off limits. Yeah, fairy, okay. Just checking. Yeah. All right, you're first. I wanted to pick him, but you but I know, I wanted to pick him too. <laughs> hmm, okay. See, lots of swooning and lack of agency from our unnamed unnamed lady. Heroine. Mhm. The Lord and his sister are villains, but they're kind of lame villains. Yannick mm-hmm. is a hero, but he is a kind of lame hero. We could abstain. Cuz like those are the only characters and I feel like the only person who's worth taking is Yannick. There's nobody else really named. And it's not fair if only one person gets a gets a person. You know what? Actually, I think we should not abstain. And okay. I'm going to take the unnamed heroine. Okay. She makes some dumb decisions. She also makes some good ones. You know what? I think it balances out. She carries around a sword for, like, forever. Which That's is true. wild. That's true. I like her better than Yannick, because all Yannick does is someone hands him a sword and says, use this sword, and he kills someone with it, and that's it. He cleaves a guy's head off. Like, I feel like she arguably has more going on and more agency than Yannick, who is literally born to do one job. One thing. I know! But okay, but who else is there? Because there's Yannick, there's the cleric, but he's dumb as s*** because he can't tell the lady from the shape-shifting fairy. Yeah. There's the old people. And you were just saying that Yannick was the obvious choice. I know. I guess I'm going to take Yannick because, like, at least he's got a cool sword now and he's half fairy and that has to count for something. There you go. So, I'll take Yannick. Final rating. You know what? I have problems with this, but... Yeah. I actually really like fairy stories and so I appreciate these motifs being included. Mm Mm-hmm. It's fun to see the the threads as they come through. Yeah. And I think a lot of the problems honestly make it funnier. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna I'm giving this a nine. This is very good. Ooh, alright, alright. Man. Again, it's weirdly problematic because she doesn't do anything. Yannick also is not even in this story, really, for it being mm-hmm. named after him. But I am quite taken by the fairy boy. I think he's really fun because he just shows up and he he just woos this woman. It's me. I heard you ordered a Prince Charming. Yeah, like, I just love how, like, on command, he's like, I am here to please you, my lady. And she's like, this is exactly what I ordered. Yes. So I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it an eight because I think I have more problems with it, but it's still really funny. Mm Mm-hmm. I think to be clear, it's not funny on purpose. I don't think no. it's meant to be funny. No, but, absolutely. Absolutely But like, not. I think a lot of the value from it is that it's funny by accident. Yes. Which is great. Yeah. It's fun for a modern audience. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Leech's Corner. Okay, here's one that is short. It is, it is one sentence, although that sentence includes four commas. Of course. And a footnote. Two footnotes. But we can probably do it in just a few minutes. Hell yeah. Alright, so this is from Leech Book 3, Chapter 60, Bullet Point 1, which probably means the only bullet point. 
If a man's headpan, footnote, skull. Good to know. Love it. Be seemingly iron bound. You know how when your headpan feels iron bound? Like it's seemingly bound with iron? Oh, like you're having a migraine. Probably. I have no idea. It goes all the way around. Oh, yeah, that'll track. Yeah. Okay, fair. Like a circlet, you know? All right, so you can try this next time you have a migraine. I'm going to advise that you don't try this, actually. Yeah, this is probably not a good idea. Yeah. Our listeners should try this on someone else. Can't be losing listeners. (laughs) So what you do is you lay the man with face upward. Okay. Drive two stakes. I knew it. I knew it. We're doing trip anning, aren't we? We're not doing trip anning. That was was face that you made. I got nervous there. For, for our listeners, trepanning is when you, like, drill into somebody's head to relieve the pressure of the brain. No, that's, that's not what's happening. Okay, good. Drive two stakes into the ground at the armpits. Okay. Then lay a plank across over his feet. I'm not able to picture what's happening here, no. Okay, so, like, under the armpits, we got two stakes in the ground. Yeah. Right, okay, and then what do we do with the feet? There's a plank laid across over his feet. Okay, so I, I guess, like, you put a plank, I guess it would be, like, over the ankles or over the instep? Yeah, I guess the stakes are just decorative. All right. Because they're under the armpits. Yeah, and that's it? That's all we do? No. Oh, okay, okay, I was gonna say. Then you strike on it, the plank, thrice with a sledge beetle. Not a beetle. A sledge beetle is a heavy wooden mallet. I think, I, okay, I think I know why the stakes are there. Why is that? Because as you are swinging it, you're not swinging straight down. You're swinging in a curved arc Mm -hmm. so that he's like holding himself in place by the stakes. Okay. You know, like, does that make sense? Yeah, I think you're kind of you're you're looped over him a little bit. And as you're being pulled downward, you're holding yourself in place. So you don't just go sliding with the sledgehammer force. Right. Okay. Okay. But anyway, after you beat his feet with a giant mallet, <laughs> the skull will come right soon. That's well, it. You fixed it. No sh**, because you're... you're... <laughs> he's too, no, he's everything... too busy with his broken feet to worry <laughs> about his migraine anymore. Yeah. That's wild. Mm. I'm trying to figure out, like, I don't know. Maybe maybe you're, like, loosening the spine. Because, you know, like, you're getting, like, you're compressed yeah. down, so maybe you're loosening something. I don't know, man. That's wild. The only other interpretation I couldn't come up with is that when it says lay a plank across over his feet, like, the plank is going vertically, like, it's wide enough that it's balanced on those stakes that are in his armpits and, like, leaning on his feet. Oh. And then, like, part of it is over his head and you're hitting it with the hammer, like, it's this kind Ooh. of, like, seesaw thing. I don't think that would be very useful. I don't think hitting people with mallets to fix their migraines is going to be useful no matter how we do it. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Well, maybe don't try that one. But if you do, send us a video. Tell us if it worked. (laughs) Try and figure out what they're talking about. That's bizarre. And, you know, next time you speak to somebody who flies in through your window, just make them go through the test. Have them imbibe something that's, like, holy to you. Yeah. Whatever holy or apotropaic objects are relevant to your traditions, religions, and practices, make sure to use them to check the identity of any strange transforming people who come through your window. You don't need to get into exorcisms. You don't need to get into anything crazy. Just ask. 
we always advocate for speaking with supernatural entities before taking violent or planar measures. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. nine times out of ten, all you need is a lawsuit. Yeah. But anyway, go forth with that knowledge, listeners, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Maniculum Podcast. Please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes to help support us. If you're interested in exclusive merch and continuous exclusive content, consider becoming a patron on Patreon. To see our sources and our notes, check out our blog on themaniculumpodcast.com. And hey, come get involved in our community. We have a Discord group that you can join, and you can find links to our server on our Facebook group, The Maniculum Podcast, our Twitter, at Maniculum, and our Instagram, at Maniculum Podcast. Original music by Walker. Check out their project, Sugar Glass, on Spotify. I mean, hold on. I'm gonna wait till the train passes. Ah, yes. So I can see the little sound waves in Audacity. So it, it is getting picked up. Yeah, I can hear it. Carry less freight. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's quieter over here. Yeah, okay, I think it's gone. All right, um, what was I saying?